Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to part two of Freedom Chronicles. How are you all doing? I just want to take a moment and I think we should all just like literally take a deep breath in and out and just all be relaxed. Mind you, you might not feel that by the time you finish listening to my episode today, but I know for me, because I do so much research and so much reading, I have found myself a little bit, um, not that I think I'm stressed in my mind, but even today, my chiropractor says to me, how are you going? How are you going physically? I'm like, yeah, kind of, I don't know, my neck, my back seem to be out all the time at the moment. And she's like, yeah, I think maybe like everything that's happening is kind of coming out through your body. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. So um, she was really sweet. She um, sent me some some medit some Christian Bible uh, verses to meditate upon that like with this music in the background. Anyway, amazing because she's not even like really kind of Christian, <laughs> but she knows that I am, and so it was great. We had a great conversation. So please just look after yourself. Take time out. Get off of social media. Don't go down the rabbit hole too much because I think we all need a bit of a break from it. However. Give me half an hour today and then you can go back and relax again. But I wanted to do part two around this whole uh, thought about safety. So last week, make sure you go back and listen to last week's episode, the first part of Freedom Chronicles. Um, And thank you too for all of your messages, guys, from the bottom of my heart. I really, really appreciate it. I got messages from all all around the place, even overseas, um, with people just saying thank you and uh, you feel like there's some someone else out there that's thinking the same way as you. So honestly, it is a pleasure and I do appreciate those messages. But anyway, go back and listen to last week because I talked about how if only some of us are free, then none of us are free. And obviously talking about the vaccine passports that seem to be heating up here in Australia. Um, now, remember though, it was not a vax discussion, not a vax opinion discussion, but rather a wake up call discussion that freedoms can be taken so slowly that it's too late before we notice. And I noticed even this morning, I got sent another one today where people are, this thing's starting to float around that people can't go to church unless they're vaccinated. They need a a passport. I I haven't verified that yet, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that people are sending each other and, and, you know, it can really make us feel, you know, freak out. Um, But we need to take note. I mean, we need to verify our sources, but take note because freedoms are taken away slowly. And I don't want us to get to the point where we go, oh, shivers too late. We should have stood up and said something months ago. So today I want to talk about this whole idea of safety versus freedom and how we are as a society, particularly here in Australia, buying into the idea that safety is of greater value than our freedom. So I want to unpack that today and really think about this. But let me clarify before I begin, I'm not saying that COVID has not had a very real impact on people, obviously, depending where you live, what country you live in, what part of our country you live in. Um, And, you know, sometimes terrible things happen in the world. We can see that in history. 
But I think we've got a generation that is like, oh no, you know, terrible things don't happen in the world now. They happened a long time ago. And so I think people are quite taken by surprise and are feeling quite shocked about what's going on, which is why you hear people say, I feel like I'm in a terrible dream. But the reality is terrible things do happen in the world. And uh, history proves that. But a lot of the suffering that's come at the moment is actually from the way the government has responded rather than from the virus itself. Now, I also want to start by saying that safety is a good thing. You know, we all have a natural instinct to keep ourselves safe from harm. And most of us weigh up the risks before we do things to make sure that the risks are, you know, far outweighed by the benefits. So an example might be skydiving, which by the way, you'll never catch me doing. I weigh up the risks and go, no thanks. Um, But, you know, it is considered really very risky and We know that there are a lot of safety measures in place for all of you brave people who have ever done that to keep you safe. And so for a lot of people, the benefits of the fun and the sense of achievement far outweigh that. So safety, of course, is important. But what we're seeing now is this disproportionate focus on safety. And safety has been taken out of our hands. You know, we no longer are, are being told that we can do what's we feel is um, is deemed safe for us personally, and it's been put into the hands of our government and even our media. So what do I mean by that? Well, can we just look at some stats for a minute? Now, the stats I'm about to read to you, these are the survival rates for those who actually get COVID. So I'm not talking about the stats for the entire population full stop. These are just the survival rates of those who actually contract the virus. Now, these have been put out by um, um, a doctor called John, I can't even say his last name, Ianidis, who is a professor of medicine, an epidemiologist, and a population health and biomedical data, sorry, that's who he works for, the population health and biomedical data science at Stanford University. Now, he was labeled one of the most influential scientists alive by the Atlantic and is one of the top-sided scientists in the world, averaging more than 6,000 new citations per month. Don't know if he's been one of the cancelled doctors, because of course, as you know, um, when people say, listen to the doctors and listen to the science, we have to listen to only the doctors that they deem uh, that we're allowed to listen to. So anyway, this guy, I've just read you his rap sheet. He's very well known. Anyway, these are his statistics that if you are between the age of zero to 19, your survival rate, if you get the virus, is 99.9973%. If you are between the ages of 20 to 29, your survival is 99.986%. Now, if you're between the age of 30 to 39, 40 to 49, again, 99.918%. Now, it drops slightly. If you're between 50 and 59, your chance of surviving is 99.73%. And for those aged 60 to 69, 99.41%. And then the greatest drop that we see are those in ages 70 and above, where their survival is 97.6%. So those survival rates are incredible. They're, They're massive. Like we all have a massive chance of survival, huge. But the whole narrative of the government and the media, which has completely driven the mask, lockdown, vax response, 
when we look at this is way out of proportion compared to those survival rates. So let's flip those stats on their head. So any death is a tragedy, okay? But let's break down the stats the other way. What he's saying is if you're basically between the age of zero to 49, so if you're under the age of 50, you have less than a 0.01% chance of dying. If you're between the age of 50 to 59, you have a 0.27% chance of dying. If you are between the age of 60 to 69, you have a 0.59% of dying. And those over 70 have a 2.4% chance of death if they contracted the virus. Now, this is obviously generalized in a sense because it does depend on where you live, what, what part of the world you live in and your age group. So for example, the risk is less right now if you lived here in Queensland where I live than if you do in New South Wales due to the big difference in their case numbers. But the message that we're hearing all the time over and over like a broken record, keep safe, keep safe, keep safe, stay safe, be safe. But according to the science, which by the way, everyone is so hung up on, which is funny since this science doesn't get talked about very much for some reason, we're actually already pretty safe. It's almost shocking that someone would say that, but I'm going by the data. We're as safe as we possibly can be because complete safety is an illusion. Now, when people jump into social media and start telling you that it's your duty to get vaccinated because, hello, keep safe, Well, that narrative doesn't actually follow the science. So we are already pretty safe unless what you're after is 100% safety, certainty and guarantees, which of course we've seen the Queensland and Victorian government both trying to do that with this zero cases. They're they're trying to get 100% safety. So what's really going on here? Well, what's going on is the media are focusing 100% of their narrative on the 0.1%. So in other words, 99% of our nation's media are focusing and and the leadership are focusing on the 0.1% that's causing the problem and we are all buying it. We've all become so scared that we've actually stopped thinking. Let me give you an example. Here in Queensland, like most states, we still have to wear masks whenever we're indoors, anywhere. Students also are still mandated. Then on Saturday night, I turned on my TV to watch the AFL game being played here at Suncorp Stadium, and I see about 40,000 people jammed in like sardines, not wearing masks. Now, people might say, oh, but they're sitting down. But seriously, listen to us. Like, have we lost our marbles? Do you really think that this highly contagious Delta says, oh, oh, you are sitting down. I can't infect you. Wait, wait, hang on. I see Susie over there. She's standing up. Yep, yep, yep. She's standing quick. Infect, infect. Now, I know I'm being funny, but really that is exactly how we are acting. Now, I am not against masks at all. I will happily wear one if it makes the people around me feel safer. But the hypocrisy is so glaring. You know, we're told to wear a mask to keep people safe. So what about the 40,000 people at the football? In fact, I've seen people on social media having a good laugh and say, I'll just start carrying a football around with me because apparently that makes me immune. 
But using the same logic, those 40,000 people are no longer safe, right? Because they're not keeping safe by keeping a distance, having a mask on. Same in a cafe, wear the mask to walk the two meters to get to the table. That is deemed keeping everyone else in the cafe safe. Then proceed to sit down, take it off, laugh and chat for an hour without it. Apparently, I'm still keeping people safe, but the second you stand up, it must go back on. There's no actual logic. But even though none of it makes any sense, we must obey these crazy hypocritical rules because it keeps people safe, which is what we keep being told. And if you question it, like I just did, well, then we're called selfish and not loving our neighbor and we mustn't care about everyone else's safety. But excuse me for a moment if I'm actually just thinking for myself and using logic, because apparently that's now called a conspiracy. So Dennis Prager, who I love his stuff, Um, As you know, I listen to his fireside chats and I strongly encourage you to do the same. But he was talking about uh, Australia in his podcast last week, and you can have a listen to this. And he just talks so much common sense and he made some really great points. And he was talking about this whole issue of safety. And he said, you know, whenever a government starts acting in a tyrannical sort of way, mandating things, they always have a good reason for it. And every tyranny has an excuse. This is according to Dennis Prager. They never just say, hey, do as we tell you because we want power. They're not going to expose themselves like that. They always give a really good excuse. And the one that we've been fed over and over is we're doing this to keep you safe. And it's all we hear. It's all we see. It's become the propaganda message of this pandemic. It's designed to make us do whatever we're told to do. So let's pull this ideology of safety apart. First of all, what do I always say? Ask questions. Although apparently now if you ask questions, you know, you, um, you're considered, you know, rebellious and not wanting to keep other people safe. But I'm like, well, I've always asked questions. I encourage everyone to ask questions. Um, a few of mine are, are the powers that be really all that concerned with our safety when I when I see the data and the science? Is it the government's job to keep us safe? If so, how far are their measures allowed to go to do so? How much are we personally responsible for our own safety? Is safety the most important thing? What price do we pay to be kept safe? And would, ra- would people rather be safe than free? So I've got about three points about safety that I want to unpack. And the first one is this. The idea that safety has become our idol, which is what I've called today the false god of safety. When we make an idol of something, we value that and worship that thing far above anything else. And that is exactly what's happening right now in Australia, New Zealand, and other places around the world. Now, as you know, I've been working with and studying young people for decades, and it's well known and documented that we have right now the most risk-adverse generation in history. So there's a few books that I've read, one of them by an Australian author, Hello Gen Z, and another book from America called iGem, and they go into detail about this. Do you know why we have created the most risk-adverse generation in history? Because we've scared the pants off them, the parents, all the adults in their life, the media, the government, the education system. We have a generation who have been told to keep safe and it's actually crippled them. I'll give you a few examples. Monkey bars were banned from school playgrounds to keep them safe because too many of them broke their arms or their legs falling off. The school that I worked in, and I've said this previously, they actually drew a physical fluorescent green line from one end of the school to the other. And in the morning, the students and the parents had to sit, not stand, sit behind the line 
until the bell went. Now, obviously, as a teacher, I was allowed past the green line. And do you know what the reason was? It was to keep the kids safe, to stop them running around in the morning where they might get injured. But do you know why? Because there were too many first aid reports being done at the office before school started. That's the reason. In year 11, before teenagers get their license here in Queensland, a lot of them do a road safety program. Georgia did one of these. It was called PARTY, nothing to do with having a party. It was an acronym for something. And they made them go in and talk to victims of car accidents. And then I remember Georgia telling me, mum, while we were there, we thought it was a real trauma victim coming in and interrupting the program. Now, it turns out that it was a setup, but it was it was a part of the program to really scare the kajibis out of young people. And I know they're trying to help them. They were trying to say, guys, when you drive, you've got to be careful. You've, you've got to keep safe. But this overreach of safety has now scared a lot of young people so much so that they are getting their licenses either not at all or later than ever. Whereas when I was young, we could not wait to turn 16 so we could get our license. Then we have safe spaces in uni. Someone says something you don't like, you can go off to a safe space. You know, we have kids in car seats and booster seats for so long that we have families barely able to fit the seats across the back of their cars. They have to buy new cars. Now hear me, a degree of safety, of course, is a good thing. I mean, When I was thinking about this the other day, when my mum brought me home from the hospital, I was put in a bassinet that was placed on the back seat with no restraints. Literally, I'm sure the bassinet would have just slid across the back seat as my dad went around corners. So I'm not saying that safety is a bad thing. A degree of safety is a good thing. I do not advocate for you to put your baby in a bassinet unrestrained. Like that's just a lack of common sense. But we've gone now into overreach and it's become an idol. And, you know, there's there's this element, of course, where we should be able to weigh up and calculate risks, such as jumping out of a, out of a plane. You know, should we wear a seatbelt when we get in the car? Well, we have decades of safety data, so we know that's a smart thing to do. But we have now gone the other way and created a generation that are afraid of everything. And that's why we've got so many people sitting back right now and allowing their safety to be put in the hands of the government. Whatever they're telling us to do, we just blindly follow, even when it doesn't make sense. Like go and wear a mask when you go to the shop, but don't worry if you go to the football, that just doesn't make sense. And so we've stopped thinking for ourselves because we want to be kept safe. People want someone else to keep them safe. Because we've built a society on the ideology of safety. We value safety above all else. You know, let me turn for a minute to the Bible. And I know not everyone um, is, a, is a Christian here or shares my, my worldview, but I think most people are open to what the Bible says. Jesus did not say, I've come to give you safety and safety in all its fullness. He said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance but we've started to worship safety. We desire to be kept safe above all else. And what did I say last week that Benjamin Franklin said, if you want to be safe, he who wants safety and freedom will end up with neither. So that leads me to my second point. So number one, safety's become an idol. Number two, there's always a price to safety. In fact, I'm seeing two hefty prices right now. The first is when we want to be kept so safe, we can't live a full life. And the second one is the biggest price is our freedom. So let's look at living a full life. I cannot think of a better example than what is happening right now, where we're so consumed with being safe that we're not actually living life. We are literally not living. We've got states locked up in houses 
covering up with masks. There's so many things that so many people in different parts of our country cannot do right now in the name of supposed safety. But let me say this, until it is safe, which is what we hear, do this until it is safe, that actually means never. Because we are never guaranteed safety. That's why we've got our our Victoria and Queensland premiers going for this ridiculous, unattainable goal of zero COVID. They want complete certainty. They want to make you think that you can have complete safety, but it doesn't exist. Getting in your car is a risk. Walking outside is a risk. Being alive means that there's a risk. And our government's false idol of safety means that we are no longer living. And that is not how God intended for us to live. He came, Jesus came and died so that we could live. I really wonder what God thinks of us locked up in our houses, too scared to go out, what he thinks of a government forcing us to stay locked up inside. You know, if you want to keep safe, you will actually never live fully. Life is a risk and it's a false God to think that we can get through life risk-free. I look at all the people in the Bible. They were not, the Bible is not full of scared, afraid people, or if they were afraid, they did it anyway. They were full of courage. Mary, courageous. Esther, courageous. Ruth, courageous. Sarah, courageous. You know, just this week I read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, talking about Sarah, that it was this that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Um, so she followed Abraham and to do so, she had to do some pretty risky, scary things. And so 1 Peter 3, 6 says, and you are now her true daughters. If you do right and let nothing terrify you. And then in brackets, the amplified goes on to say, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. So let's look at the second price of freedom. Sorry, the second price of, of safety. And that is our freedom. What's happening is we've got a nation who a lot of people would rather be safe than free. And it astonishes me that just a few decades ago, men and women in this country fought for our freedom. They shed blood. They sacrificed their lives so we can live free. Free from what? From the tyrannical reign of a dictator who wanted to rule over us. And now we've gone from fighting for freedom to fighting against freedom. I often think that if the war were to happen now in this generation, that actually Hitler would have succeeded because where would all the brave people be risking their lives to fight? They would be too scared and would be locked inside their houses, shaking in their boots. You know, why do you, why, why do I um, think about things like, or talk about my Nana and Pa, how they risk their safety by hiding a Jewish woman in their house in Holland in World War II. Well, they did that because their their greatest value was freedom. They knew that they were fighting for freedom. If they valued safety over freedom, they would have kept themselves safe by not hiding this lady in their home. I think people who are acquainted with evil know the value of freedom. The World War II generation had been labeled the greatest generation, and part of what made them great was that they fought for freedom, and the last thing that they asked was, is it safe? Now we are willingly giving up freedom and demanding others give up their freedom because the government are telling us we have to be kept safe. 
The ability to suppress human freedom in the name of safety is unbelievable. This is why we have people so willingly lining up for a medical procedure that has zero long-term safety studies and data. In fact, there are reputable doctors such as the guy who made this technology, Robert Malone, as well as some of the greatest doctors of all time who are very clear that they have great concerns about it. But despite all that, people are being told this is what they must do to keep safe. And because people want to be kept safe more than anything, they want to believe they are safe more than anything, and they want reassurance and certainty more than anything, so they obey. And vaccine passports will be willingly accepted because of that same reason, safety over freedom. Again, I ask myself so many questions. You know, if the government introduced those passports, does that create a medical apartheid? Does that create a segregated society? Have we not fought against discrimination and segregation for decades and decades? Will we be returning to a society that we fought against having? Why are the government so hell-bent on mandating this? If we have a passport for this, what else will they start including as a part of that passport? Will it just be for the two vaccines? You know, they say fully vaxxed if you have two, but we know in other parts of the world they're introducing boosters, so, so you're not really fully vaxxed if you have two. Will the passport start to include other aspects of health care? What about other aspects of my health and life might the government determine we must do to keep safe? Am I happy with a group of people who want to retain the right to say no, being stopped from basic human rights like accessing food, travel, entertainment? I might agree with what they're mandating right now, but what if in the future I don't? And, and the other question is, whenever in society have we banned people who take risks? Like since when have we ever said, if you do something risky, you should be restricted or ostracized? You know, are smokers banned from society? Are people who abuse alcohol restricted from society? And this takes me to my third point. So the first point is safety has become an idol. The second one is safety is always, um, there's a price to it. And thirdly, I want to ask this really big question. Are the government really concerned about our safety? I am fascinated at this sudden obsession with our safety because it's not in alignment with behavior in any other areas of our lives or anything else we've ever seen. Let's just take smoking as an example. Now, you can look this up yourself on the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Smoking is responsible for 24,000 deaths in Australia every year. Did you catch that? 24,000 deaths in Australia every year are due to or related to smoking. So do cigarettes sound safe to you? Isn't our government's message keep safe? So this just naturally makes me ask, well, if they were really invested in our safety, why don't they ban cigarettes? And while we're at it, we should start banning smokers from, you know, being free to roam in society. We should ostracize them. Um, so I just wonder, you know, and what about denying medical treatment? I've had, a, I've had a family member in my family that said, has actually said, if anyone doesn't go and get the vaccine, that they should not be treated, you know, in a hospital. And I'm like, what, what are we doing to one another to say those kinds of things? Like, do we deny medical treatment to people who get ill because of smoke, smoking? You know, of course not. Yes, their behavior might be risky. Yes, their behavior is not wise, but they still had the right to put in their body what they wanted to put in their body. So why is the government staying out of that? I don't know. Has it got to do with the billions of dollars that the smoking industry are making every year? 
But suddenly the vaccinated are to be ostracized from society. And I think about alcohol. Alcohol is another one. Again, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, harmful alcohol use is a leading cause of burden amongst young people in Australia. Harmful levels have significant burden on our healthcare system. It has to do with premature mortality and crime and justice uh, impact on our crime and justice system. Alcohol abuse, harmful alcohol consumption, has led to, with our young people, a death rate of 5.1 per 100,000 in 2017. That's, that's really high. That death rate is far, far higher than the death rate for COVID amongst young people in Australia, which is zero, by the way, zero. So in light of this, I ask you, why have our government been so, why haven't they been concerned before with the safety of our young people around alcohol? Like, why doesn't every single young person in Australia have an alcohol passport where we nationally track the purchase and consumption of alcohol amongst our youth? What about how much alcohol abuse is related to domestic violence? I could go on and on. Then, of course, there's the issue that while they're supposedly keeping us safe from a virus, what are they? What they're actually doing is causing more people to be unsafe than ever before in other ways. But again, we're ignoring that. So there just seems to be this obsession for safety in this one area and that the advice is, you know, only one narrative about what we have to do to keep safe, which, by the way, has never been done before. We always have been a country that have looked at all the angles and taken all the advice, but that's not how it's working now. So I'm really, to be honest, I'm really confused. In fact, it's been annoying me for months and months and months when I line up at the shops or I walk in and I see keep safe, be safe, stay safe. Even the school up the road from me now has changed their flashing sign to, to stay safe. And I'm like, wow, what are we doing to a young generation? So I keep hearing this message, but at the same time, the very things we're told to do to keep us safe is actually causing more people than ever to suffer. It is out of proportion and we all know it. Domestic violence is at an all-time high, not because of the virus, but because of the measures the government are using to, I put in quotes, keep us safe. Lifeline and other such businesses are seeing more people ring for help in one day than in their history, not because of the virus, but because of these so-called safety measures. So why are the safety measures only working in one small sliver, but are causing huge damage in other parts? And yet we're all buying it and going, keep safe, keep safe. People are losing their businesses, their jobs, everything they have worked for, not because of the virus, but the measures that the government are using to keep us safe. We're yet to see the data on actual suicide rates, but we do know that attempts are significantly higher. And what about the effect on education of our children? So this whole ideology of keeping us safe from one thing is causing devastation in many, many other ways. And the only conclusion that I can come to is it's not about safety. I I don't know. Maybe I really can't even say what perhaps the real agenda is. And I understand that we all have a natural human tendency to want and guarantee for safety. 
Okay, so let me give a few suggestions. So I've talked about the three things around safety. So just a quick recap. Number one, safety has become an idol. Number two, there is always a price to safety. And number three, is it really is is safety really the 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 true agenda when we look in light of other things that we're not, you know, being mandated or banned? But let me give a few suggestions. How about putting safety back in the hands of us, the people, us personally, which is where it should be. Give us all the data. I mean, all the data. Stop censoring stuff. We've never done that before. And it just makes us suspicious. Give us more than one option of what we can do. Cancer treatment, for example, that never has a one size fits all. So why does this? Why don't they focus on all the things we can do to keep our immune system strong, the vitamins, the exercise? Why don't they celebrate the number of people recovering? Why don't they give us courage instead of paralyzing us with fear? Why don't they help actually keep everything in perspective when you consider the actual science and statistics? Why don't they tell us what to do if we do get COVID, that's like, that information is really hard to find. If you do get it, what do you do? It's like literally you can do nothing until you end up hospitalized. That's not good enough. And what about focusing on some of the positive stuff, like the actual data around children? For example, did you know that in children in Australia, there's been 2,350 children uh, under 14 who have had the virus, 60 that were hospitalized, one in ICU. This was at the time of this report, which was probably about two weeks ago, zero deaths. Um, you know, how about looking at the, the positive side or the other side, for example, when it comes to the New South Wales Delta outbreak break, how about looking at, at, at reverse, let's do some reverse hysteria, you know, out of 23,000 active cases of Delta in New South Wales, there's only 23,000 at the time active cases over out of 8 million residents. That's That's got a, a an infection rate of 0.28%. So that means out of the 8 million residents in New South Wales, the percentage of people not infected, not infected, is 99.72%. Or what about this one? Um, now, this, again, is from the 4th of September, so it was only a couple of days ago. The Out of the 177 deaths, out of 32,000 cases, that means there's a rate of 0.55%, which means the Delta variant of those who do get infected, you will have a survival rate of 99.45%. Why are we scaring people with the hysteria the other way. Why don't the government come out and start telling the good story? It is our leader's job not to instill fear in the people, but to put courage in our hearts. Because I know for me, uh, I would much rather, I'm not saying don't be realistic, but they're being completely the other way. And I know for me, that would give me so much more peace of mind uh, and I have no doubt that there would be tens and tens and tens of thousands of Australians that if that were the story that were told, that our mental health would not be absolutely suffering like it is right now. So there you are. That's my, uh, that's my episode today about this false ideology of safety. So I think we should all take personal responsibility about what we should do with our lives. And so please, what can you do? 
just don't jump on social media and start telling other people what to do. Let's let every person make the decision for themselves. But gee, it would be so much easier if we were actually given the proper data in the right perspective. So my thoughts are with you as always. And thank you for joining me for part two of Freedom Chronicles. I will have a think about um, how we can continue this conversation next week. And if you've got any ideas or anything you'd like to hear me talk about, please come into my DMs on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. I'd love to chat with you more then. Until then, go and listen to some meditation scripture. Um, Go and listen to some good stuff. Put some good stuff into your soul instead of all the fear. All right? Okay, guys, we'll see you on Friday for Parenthood. Bye.